Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, chapter by chapter, reading it out loud, and looking today at... It's it's a song, and it's one that I think is going to sound really familiar to a lot of people. Um, if not because it sounds like something that we've actually heard, it just sounds like, well, something that, hang on, who sang this? Was it Hannah? Was it Mary? Um, the, kind of, the answer is sort of kind of yes to that. Um, it, it's one of these prayers that just, it winds up, it seems being echoed throughout the Old Testament. Um, and then we get back to the story, and, well, I mean, the, the ESV title is fantastic, Eli's Worthless Sons. Uh, just, you know, uh, not mincing any words there. Uh, but like we said last time, First Samuel giving us a real mixed picture, uh, like Judges, where you're just getting the whole thing, warts and all. Uh, there's, there's some faithfulness, but it's not without uh, corruption and uh this this mixed faithfulness this inconsistent faithfulness that's going on um that Samuel's being inserted into uh, certainly a picture of the Lord Jesus uh, and his coming so a lot of things uh that are really interesting that we'll want to spend some time on and and I think that again this will develop a connection to to our own time you know so what do you do when there's corruption in the church among the priesthood right so uh, timely as ever Joining us today, we've got, and now I'm not sure I've actually had the pleasure of um, personally having this guest on here, but he's he's been on before. We've got Pastor Charles Henriksen, pastor at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in the Missouri town of, let's see, would this be pronounced Bonterre? How do you guys say this French name? Good morning, brother. Good morning, brother. Yes, it is pronounced Bonterre. It means the good land. Uh, so I am yep. the pastor there at St. Matthew's. Um, in Bonterre, Missouri, just south of St. Louis. And currently I'm also um, serving a second congregation uh, while the pastor's on disability. I'm serving also at uh, Grace Lutheran Church in DeSoto, Missouri, which is nearby in the same circuit. So my Sunday mornings uh, go from one place to the other. And then on Tuesdays I do in-person Bible classes at both places. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, look look at that, right? There's there's a number of uh, pastors who aren't um, doing anything in person on Sunday, and you're just doing things in multiple places on Sunday. So you're couple. We are not in Calif. <laughs> we are not located in the People's Republic of California, Stan, <laughs> where you are. Your religious liberty is being severely impeded un- unwarrantedly. So we, yeah, yeah, we meet in yeah, person, no. and, uh, yeah. but our people are using common sense, you know, social distancing, some even wear masks. So, but we've been, we've been meeting in person for some months now. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's a, that's a great blessing. And, uh, yes, the, the, the People's Republic of California stand is not lost on me. Uh, though I will say that to, to me, uh, it, it feels like I'm, I have more freedom than ever because, uh, here I am like actually getting to worship outside. That was always something I wanted to do, but you know, everyone was like, that's crazy. So, but now I get to do it. So, you know, well, yeah, I mean, you've got the climate there in, uh, the, uh, paradise state there. Yeah, that's right. So no, no, I I, I have it pretty well in, in South Orange County, so no complaints there. But um, you know the 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 situation here in 
First Samuel two, um, it, it is kind of interestingly. I think there's a little bit of a connection. I'm going for it anyway. It's always, I was trying to pull this off. Um, there's ce- there's celebration and praise in the midst of right, like a corrupt picture, right? A picture that's yeah. you know, hey, this this isn't looking quite right. I mean, you've got Hannah's prayer, which, I mean, sounds like the Messiah's already come basically based on her prayer her her uh, uh-huh. her praise but you know whoa i mean uh, the the priests own sons are are corrupt and involved in uh, you know bribery and whatever else so i mean it's it's really something the perspective that faith has on circumstances which can be you know very i i mean i guess from a worldly perspective we'd say like that seems naive or um i don't know like childishly optimistic um but yet there's there's this, I don't know, that faith has a different perspective on things, even when things are not as they should be. This chapter, as I went over it again, uh, there's a lot more here than people might think. It's, it's not just Hannah's prayer, oh, that's a nice prayer, and then Eli's worthless sons, but there's yeah. a lot woven in here in the context of the whole Old Testament, and we even get two prophecies of Jesus in both his role as the Messianic King and as our faithful high priest. And we'll run into that. Uh, Hannah speaks a prophecy, an unnamed prophet speaks a prophecy. And uh, the contrast, so we've got Hannah's prayer, Hannah's Lord, Hannah's son, who stands in contrast to Eli's, as you say, Eli's worthless sons, and then a prophet who uh, brings uh, judgment but also a promise uh, at the end of this chapter. So there's a lot here. Yeah, there really is. Um, this, is this is a very full chapter, but we will, you know, we're not going to get through everything, but I'm sure we're going to have plenty to talk about. So looking forward to it, brother. Um, but before we go ahead and read through the chapter, would you open us up with a prayer? Yes. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, of course, uh, always an appropriate prayer, uh, you know, the traditional yes. prayers of of worship, but you know that the end there, the uh, the bit about comfort of the word, um, that that certainly speaks, I think, to Hannah's situation here with her with her husband um, Elkanah, saying, you know, that, that the Lord's word would be established, and here here she is taking this great comfort and consolation because that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and her name Hannah Hannah means grace, yeah. God's gifts, and so she. Uh, uh, experiences God's gifts in the midst of her distress with the answer to her prayer. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. And, you know, there's there's a lot to talk about. We even mentioned this already, but uh, there's a lot to talk about in terms of names, right? I mean, it's very interesting that Hannah is basically the feminine form of John. Um, you know, yeah. again, you know, grace or, you know, Yahweh is uh, gracious. Interesting connection there between John the Baptist later and uh, Hannah and Samuel now, as we're reading. Um, yeah. and, th- and then, yeah, we even talked about a little bit last time about the logic uh, 
of, of how she named him Samuel and what it means. So there's a, yeah, there's so much going on. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, anything else you want to call out real quick here before we read through the chapter? Well, what we're going to uh, see here yeah. is in the context of the whole um, Old Testament, I want to point this out. As was mentioned on Friday, um, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, there is not a First Samuel and Second Samuel, it's just Samuel. And yeah. the division of the books in the Hebrew Bible is a little different from in our English Bible. Uh, the three parts of the Hebrew Bible are the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. And um, mm-hmm. interestingly, we think of uh, Samuel and Kings and Joshua and uh, Joshua Judges, Samuel and Kings, we think of those as historical books, and they are. But uh, in the Hebrew right. Bible, they're grouped together in the section called the Prophets. And it's and interesting why... What's that? The former prophets, prophets, right. 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 Because those four books then are considered the former prophets, and then the latter prophets are the three writing prophets, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and then the book of the Twelve, the minor prophets. Um, And they kind of balance. But why these historical books are called prophets is that they illustrate through historical narrative the blessings and the curses that Moses laid down in the Torah for walking in the ways of the Lord or departing from them. And so we see examples, historical examples, in uh, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings of how when Israel walked in the ways of the Lord, they, they received his blessings, and when they departed from the ways of the Lord, uh, curses fell upon them. And we will see we see this here in uh, miniature with the story of Hannah and Samuel, and then on the opposite side of Eli and his uh, sons Hophni and Phineas. Right. That, that's um. You know, I think that's helpful, especially thinking about just even the, the name of the book, right? As Samuel, um, or as we mentioned last time, that, that in the Greek translation, it's kingdoms, right? It's just you know, mm-hmm. thinking of expanding things. It's just, you know, first, second, third, fourth kingdoms. Um, that by, by calling this the former prophets, I think that it kind of speaks to thinking of it as a, a description or an account of Samuel's ministry as a prophet, unless like, you know, this is like, I don't know, Samuel's autobiography or the reason why we're calling it the prophets uh, is because, you know, it's like this guy wrote it. Um, there's, uh, you know, some good dis- discussion on all that stuff in the Concordia commentary on this about, you know, um, you know, uh, clearly Samuel didn't write the whole thing, even if, you know, a lot ultimately gets traced back to him. But but thinking of it as uh, the ministry and the activity of these prophets. And yeah, they, they certainly had prophets even before <laughs> Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Uh, the Lord was yeah. was still up to things in, in those former times. And and like you were saying, just the way that they're, they're these really are just so important as, as uh, historical accounts that connect, like you were saying, the things that Moses in many ways predicted um, that, that would pave the way for everything that, that followed. So yeah, this really, really big 
uh, crucial, you know, like if you didn't have it, it would be the missing link. Right. But, but we have it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and this book of Samuel, this book of Samuel, yeah. which is first and second Samuel, but Samuel opens with focus on this, uh, sort of the last of the judges or, or the, the, the one who anoints David ultimately. Uh, so yeah. the book goes from Samuel, who's kind of the forerunner of David to David, the great king, much in the way that John the Baptist is sort of the one who prepares the way for Jesus. You can see these mm-hmm. Samuel and uh, David as sort of types of uh, John the Baptist and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, well, and it's, it's, it's going to be like I was saying, like all the connections, like especially with the names and stuff, uh, the, the typology is, is really multi-level that you can, kind of go in all kinds of things, you know, like is, is, is Samuel a type of John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus? Yes. <laughs> but let's, uh, we'll, 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 we'll get into it. We'll get, yeah. we'll, we'll get into it here. So we'll just, we'll read through sure. the chapter and then we can kind of look at some of these things in a little more detail. So here's the second chapter of Samuel from the top here. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have, has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and that the fork brought up all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. 
and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it's no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves in the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your fathers should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, The days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then, in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And... This that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places, that I may eat a morsel of bread. Oof. There, there's so, there's so much going on in this chapter. Uh yeah, well, and, uh, yeah, ends on ends on quite a sobering note. Um, I mean, you know, so you just you get lifted up with Hannah, right, up to heaven, and uh, then you're brought down low. Well, I mean, and that's exactly what's going on in the song itself, right? That the song has that reversal yeah. theme that gets picked up in the Magnificat, right? That you know, the exactly. basically those who are prospering now, uh, they get sent down, uh, and then those who are down and out. They get lifted up to the place of honor. This is the, you know, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Uh, the, the chapter yes, itself is very much like that. Yeah, you use that term reversal. 
And when I went yeah. to seminary, Dr. Hummel would talk about the great reversal as a major theme in the Bible. And it is. It's all over the place. Once you're aware of this, you see it all over the place. God resists the humble. Uh, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble is all over the Bible. And um, uh, you mentioned, everybody mentions how similar Hannah's uh, praise song here is to uh, Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter one. And there are many even verbal parallels here between Hannah's song and Mary's song. You know, Hannah says, my heart exalts in the Lord, uh, uh, and uh, my strength is exalted, is exalted. My heart exalts. I always get those two words mixed up. Exalts and exalts. My heart Uh exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And then Mm -hmm. about bringing down the proud and the haughty and raising up the humble and the poor. Um, in yeah. remembrance of God's promises. So so there are many verbal uh, similarities between Hannah's prayer here in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel and Mary's uh, praise song, the Magnificat, in Luke chapter 1, and this theme of the great reversal. Yeah, yeah certainly. And, and in fact, you know, I, I mean, the similarities are just are so pronounced— You'd almost, you almost could say that you wonder if Mary's song in certain parts is, is not so much a different song, but actually just a kind of a different translation of the same song um, in, in certain places. You know, just like you were saying, I mean, like it's, uh, no, I, I, I feel you, yeah, I always got exalt in it. Well, it's ex- we don't really even pronounce a difference, right? It's exalt, exalt, it's like the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that, that first exalt, meaning, you know, like uh, growing, growing large, magnifying um you know like swelling with pride and joy uh and then exalt uh lifting up or uh being exuberant uh you know with energy um with with uh honor right so i mean like uh, they're like really just um the same um which which is which is very striking that um you know hand and but it's so it's so interesting because uh it kind of I think in some ways it kind of highlights uh, some of the big differences between Hannah and uh, the mother of our Lord, because, you know, whereas Hannah was, was praying, praying fervently for a son, mm-hmm. um, Mary had no such prayer, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, she does say to Gabriel, right, you know, may it be to me as, as you have said, um, but, you know, she wasn't like, you know, begging for a son. She was, you know, just hoping to get married first. <laughs> um, yeah. So, it's it's striking that you know there's there's kind of you know there's the barren one who's who's really asking for a prayer, and then there's the one who, in some ways, is is super barren in, in that she there's no there's no way at all she could possibly um, have us have a you know any child, uh, and she uh-huh. gets it even without asking for it. So I mean it's uh it, it is it is so interesting just how I don't know there's this amplification where it's just no one would have seen. Uh, Mary coming. Right. Now, Mary, though, would have been very familiar just as a faithful Jewess. She would have known Hannah's prayer. And with her pregnancy in this miraculous session, I bet she probably reflected upon that sort of thing. And uh, in her devotions, probably would have 
meditated on Hannah's prayer a number of times before she uttered her own version of it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just the same for any of us that, that well, just as we even opened up this morning, right? It's the, the language of our, of our prayers uh, that, that we use in our you know daily life or, or the language of scripture, the language of the liturgy. It's, uh, it would have been quite natural. Yeah. And some interesting things about Hannah's prayer here uh, in context. Well, brother, if, um, if, if so we, I, I hate to interrupt, but it's actually time for a break already. Yes. But okay. if, if we can get back to it right when we get back, if we can kind of look at some of those details you're going to highlight for us, everybody hang on. We're looking at first Samuel chapter two on thy strong word. We'll be right back. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 2. Thanks to our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for supporting Thy Strong Word. Their website, lhfmissions.org. Joined today by our guest, Pastor Charles Henriksen, pastor at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. Uh, also helping out the good brothers and sisters there in DeSoto, Missouri. If you've got a question for us, if you're listening live, great opportunity to join the conversation. I already had some that came in over the live stream on facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. But you can also give us a call at 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Uh, so those questions that came in are all 
about what happens after Hannah's song. So we're going to have to get <laughs> we're going to have to get through Hannah's song first. But all right, uh, brother, brother, you're going to give us the highlights. I think uh, I'll just do a few quick things here on this. We call it Hannah's prayer. It's really Hannah's prayer 2.0. Uh, mm. Her first prayer was in chapter one, the supplication, sure. and here yeah. in chapter two is the thanksgiving. And I was just thinking about that this morning, how sometimes we ask God for something in prayer, and then we forget to thank him when we get the answer. So I think this is yeah. a good uh, example of the thanksgiving after the supplication. Yeah. Um, also, this prayer follows the standards of Hebrew poetry uh, with mm-hmm. the parallelism here. Oh, yeah. A line A oh, and a line B. It's so much B. like the Psalms, right? Yes. It, it sounds like one other, too. Yeah. One other uh, point about this song, this prayer, at the beginning of the whole book of Samuel, is it sort of forms a bookend uh, here at the beginning of the whole one book, uh, and then at the other end, you have David's prayer in Second mm-hmm. Samuel 22. And so there's sort of a balance here at the beginning and the end of the book of Samuel. So those were a few of the points I wanted to, to bring out about this prayer. I appreciate that last one, too. Um, it, it's sort of interesting, the stuff about old old men. Um, I mean, just old people in general. Uh, we, we just we have such a—it's it, just it's weird, too, right? Just me saying, like, old man, right? Like, it almost has, like, just in our, in our cultural setting, like a negative connotation. Um, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you want to say something like, uh, like elderly person. I mean, even anyways, like this is the problem of our, you know, 21st century Western culture. But, um, in this culture, right. I mean, like having old people is like, whoa, you guys, <laughs> you guys are doing so well and you've known so much peace and your people are so wise, right. That your people like live out their days, right. Like th- th- uh-huh. that you guys can you guys have gray hair over there, right? I mean, like <laughs> the, the the whole perspective was just different. It was just like, wow, like that is that is the sign of you guys are living the good life, and you you have people because you know think about it, you don't have the internet, you don't have YouTube, so who's going to teach you how to do things, right? Well, the people with gray uh-huh. hair, that's YouTube. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Hey, so one they, other they, thing I forgot to mention. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this is really like one of the most important points in Hannah's prayer is in verse yeah. ten, B. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king yeah. and exalt the horn or the power of his anointed. At this point, Israel has no king. They're going to want a king, and that's going to be uh, showing their bad uh, wanting to be like the world. But uh, God's going to raise up a king. And here this word, the anointed. Uh, here's yeah. the uh, word Mashiach, Messiah. Yeah. So this is one of two prophecies of Christ uh, in this chapter, that God's going to give strength to his anointed, his Messiah. And uh, in the first instance, it'll be David, who will be anointed by Samuel, but ultimately it's Jesus uh, from the tribe of Judah, the Davidic Messiah. Well, well, and thank you for that, because I think it's connected to to what I was trying to get to with the, the old man bit, because uh, th- so much of this is is setting things up and forward looking and anticipatory. I mean, it, it's yeah. crazy, right? That that in verse ten, exalt the horn of his anointed, um, you know, give strength to his king. There isn't a king. There isn't an anointed one yet. You know, we don't right. we don't do that in Israel. 
Um, and Hannah's already talking about it. Like he's there, you know? So, I mean, like there's something um, that we would say is almost prophetic, um, you know, in, in that kind of anticipatory sense, right? That, that kind of Christological sense, yeah. like you were saying. Um, and, and, and so the bit about the, the old men, right? When you're looking at the, the curse that God is in, like you said, by, you know, a, a prophet that shall not be named, right? Not the first time nor the last time that that happens, um, who comes and speaks to Eli. Uh, the, the curse, right, is that um, there, there's not going to be any old men um, in, in the house. And I, th- I think that's referring to the house of Levi um, that's being uh, dishonored here. Uh, Eli, Eli, the house of Eli, yeah. Well, 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 right. Well, I mean, so he's speaking to, uh, this prophet is speaking to Eli, right? Yeah. Right. So it's, I promise that your house and the house of your father. And um, so, yeah, it is the house of Eli. But I think by invoking that, the house of your father and the bit about uh, Egypt, right? He says, uh, where, where was that, that bit about Egypt? That's about actually? Aaron. Yeah, yeah no, that's verse, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 27. Uh, yeah, there it is. Yep. Did I, did I indeed reveal yeah. myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Right. Yeah. So we're, we're thinking about yeah the the Aaronic line, uh, you know, belonging to the descendants of of Levi, especially Aaron, uh, the first high priest. So I mean, it is it is uh it, this curse that is against not just uh, these guys right here, but against the the bigger picture. And, and when he's uttering these things, this curse includes this, um, there's there's not going to be any old men, which is a, a terrible thing. In verse 31, there will not be an old man in your house, um, except for the old man that I permit to just cry his eyes out, thinking about how terrible all this is, uh, which, which uh-huh. sort of anticipates how there will be old men there uh, when the temple is rebuilt, and they're thinking about just how terrible it is that the first one even had to be destroyed, right? So um, th- this thing about, uh, old men living out to your full age, memory, and then as you said, this getting bookended with an older David, right? Uh, things uh-huh. being passed on to to Solomon. It, it is just really interesting how this is all just looking ahead and just thinking so much about, uh, you know, going on to the next generation. What what's what's happening next? Um, you know, it, Hannah uh, being a type of of a. Uh, uh, of uh, John the Baptist's mother, right, an, an old woman, Elizabeth, right. It's just, it's just yeah. really interesting seeing that. That like there is this sense of, uh, the, well, these these are old wine skins, but we're anticipating new wine. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Eli's line of uh, high priests is going to be cut off uh, because of his lack of discipline of his uh, worthless sons. So there'll be a new, uh, a new priest, a faithful priest, which in the first instance is going to be Samuel. But again, uh, like the prophecy of the anointed one of the king in verse 10, there is a prophecy of a faithful priest in verse um, 35, and that will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Yes, yeah, so so you have the anticipation of a, a faithful priest, um, who in the in the first sense is going to be Samuel, um, but mm-hmm. it, and, but as you were saying, ultimately Christ, and then also you have anticipation of of Saul um, and, and and David, of course. But I mean that that is that is so fascinating. We didn't have a chance to talk about this. It was just a, a question actually that that Pastor Kane brought up when we looked at chapter one. 
you, you look at how Samuel got his name back there in, in chapter one, you know, and his and his mother, right? What is what does she say back in uh, verse twenty? You know, he, she called his name Samuel for she said, "I have asked for him from the Lord." But you look at that verb, you know, "I have asked for him." Um, the uh-huh. name that you should get from that, uh, from this verb, you know, Saul, is is not, I even sounds like it when I just say it, right, in the Hebrew word. It isn't Samuel. It's, uh, it, it should be Shaul. It should be Saul. Um, uh-huh. You know, so so that's extremely fascinating that we're, we're just already looking ahead um, to both king and, and priest here. Uh, we're, yeah. we're, you know, Sam, yeah. Samuel's the embodiment of we're going to give you a king, Right. Uh, so, I mean, right. it's the, the, the King thing is just, it, it's, it's so strong even before he comes onto the scene. Yes. And we see in this chapter and both with like Saul and David, uh, contrasts that are set up between one who does not walk in the ways of the Lord and one who will. Uh, so in this chapter two, we see quite a contrast. And in fact, it's structured even to do this between young Samuel, uh, sort of this um, uh, apprentice in the uh, tabernacle, versus uh, Eli's worthless sons who are misusing the priestly office. Just like we're going to see a contrast between Saul, who, uh, is, who loses his office, uh, to David, uh, who has the favor of the Lord. Well, and that's and that's I think um, that kind of ties it way back to the connection I think between Mary, uh, the mother of our Lord, and Hannah. That uh, I mean, when, when the Lord comes onto the scene, it's not really so much that Mary was asking for a son, but that all of Israel was asking for a son. Right? All of all of uh-huh. Israel was asking for a true son, a true king, because the one they had was just one that was basically imposed by uh, the Romans, and he was a an Idumean and not even a descendant of David or anything. So, I mean, yeah. just that idea of, uh, you know, Sam, what she says, Hannah, um, you know, I have asked for um, a son, right? Uh, and that, that yeah. being Saul initially, uh, but then ultimately, like you were saying, uh, it, because of unfaithfulness, uh, yeah, Saul's line going to be cut off. You know, Eli's line going to be cut off. Um, David's yeah. line going to seemingly be cut off. Uh, but then we get the son that the whole people was asking for. So, I mean, that, that theme of God showing up when everything looks cut off and when, when uh, the office has been vacated seemingly by yeah. every eligible person, that's, that, that really is such a big scope there. Now, look at, by the way, look at the contrast, in, even in the structure of how the narrative is arranged here, of going yeah. back and forth between Samuel, uh, yeah. who is portrayed as being in the presence of the Lord, ministering faithfully, and then Eli's worthless son. So you get yeah. Samuel in verse uh, 11, minister to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Then we have this sordid episode about Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Then we go yeah. back to uh, verse 18, Samuel is ministering before the Lord. And everything's going well. He's doing it right. And then we have the uh, uh, again another sin of Hophni and Phineas, uh, and then another episode, another uh, insertion here about how Samuel uh, continued to 
both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man, and then the judgment on uh, Eli's sons. So it is structured in sort of a two-track model here, switching between faithful young Samuel and lousy yeah. sons of Eli. No, that, that's that's really good, um, and that's like there what you have in the Hebrew that um, like when you have verse eleven, it's just kind of the continuing narrative form. Like, and then this happened, and then that happened, right? Um, but then when you get mm-hmm. to verse twelve, like there really is a strong contrast uh, uh, construction in the Hebrew. You could almost translate it like you know, but but Eli's sons, on the other hand, right? I mean, yeah. like it, there is uh, the Hebrew itself is trying to like draw that comparison. And so speaking of the comparison, there was a question here about the word uh, used for worthless here, um, a pretty strong way of talking about these guys. Like, what, what's uh, what's the message here? Is there any connections that we're to be drawing? Uh, you know, some uh, different figures uh, have been also described as worthless, like, uh, you know, um, Abimelech or Jephthah's men and judges and so forth. What reminded me this episode of with the with the uh, worthless sons of Eli was remember back in Leviticus when uh, was it a couple of Aaron's sons uh, were oh. doing the the um, offerings in the tabernacle wrongly Nadab, Nadab and Abihu Nadab and Abihu yeah. so these guys and judgment fell on them for mm-hmm. uh, misusing the priestly office. And now here, sort of replaying that, are Hophni and Phinehas, who were privileged to be priests, but then were, instead of serving the Lord and serving his people, were grossly abusing their priestly authority. And I I mean, because most of us don't follow the Levitical laws, we may be confused Mm -hmm. by this thing about the fat of the offerings. That goes back to Leviticus Leviticus chapter 3, you know, we think of John 3.16, but Leviticus 3.16, which says that the <laughs> fact, the best parts of the yep. offering were to be for the Lord, and the priests get what's left for their own consumption. Well, here, these boys, Hophni and Phineas, were flipping it around and taking the best part. It's kind of like, I don't know, like uh, Cain and Abel or something with uh, their offerings mm. uh, not being regarded, Cain's offering yeah. not being regarded. So here what they're doing is directly violating the rules for the priests uh, with the sacrifices that were laid down in the book of Leviticus. And so they're serving themselves. They're serving their own belly uh, instead of giving the best part to the Lord. Uh, that's That's the explanation of this maybe confusing part about why the fat is burned or who gets the fat and all of that. And they were even forcing the um, people making the offerings uh, so that they they could get for themselves the best part of the offering instead of giving it to the Lord. Right. That's that's very helpful because it goes into like a lot of detail, right, about like the custom with this three-pronged fork and thrusting it in and before the, you know, the fats burned and all this. But uh, I think that big picture, like you were saying, that the point is they're not following Leviticus, and they're just like, you know what? Wow, that looks really tasty. You're going to give that to me now, um, or we're going to take it. Um, and, and they're yeah. just like hustling people. I mean, just uh, I, I mean, it's it, and it's a shakedown. Um, 
you right. know, of course, we can we can think about later. Think about uh, you know, like tax collectors in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, or um, you know, just other kinds of comparisons. Uh, I like the comparison you were just making about Nadab and Abihu, or, or Abihu, that they you know like these two sons of the priests or sons of the priests. That you know what, just because you're you're his sons, that doesn't mean that you're actually going to be next in line. Because I mean, it's just like the curse, right? Um, you know, yeah. which is you know, hey. Far be it from me, you know, he says, I'm going to, you know, bless the one who honors me. Uh, and it's put very delicately, but like, but the one who dishonors me uh, is going to be lightly esteemed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is, is, not, is not going to be coming into honor. So I think that's a really good connection uh, those, uh, that sto- to that story in uh, Exodus. Um, I, I think the other, the other story that I was thinking about was that when you get to the bit of, again about Samuel then, uh, you know, again in Hebrew, uh, Samuel on the other hand, right, in, in verse 18 in the Hebrew, um, it says he was ministering before the Lord, right, so he's part of the, the priestly activity here, and it says here he was uh, clothed with a linen ephod, and we remember um, from num- uh, Exodus that, you know, the, the ephod is uh, this priestly garment, a priestly symbol, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that his mother would make for him this, this little robe, it says, right. And take it uh, to him each year. I, I don't, I'm not yeah, sure. Because the, the he's point growing is that, in stature. So the one he yes. had last year wouldn't fit him. <laughs> well, <laughs> fair enough. Right. Um, you, you know, it's like, you know, new clothes for Christmas, right. You know, at every, you know, kid yeah. in 21st century Western society wants. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, I was reminded though, um, I wonder if the point there is, it's not so much like, you know, little, uh, robe like it's like it's little because the boy is little but if it's like almost like a diminutive like the sense of like you know this this precious thing she's been working on all year right and i was just um i just i mean i just was looking at the story yesterday i was thought i was just thinking of joseph right um you know oh, that you had joseph colors, who, yeah. yep who, who was given this this beautiful robe i mean it says it was made by his father in that case uh but but the idea right being like the favored child right um uh-huh. from the favored uh-huh. wife uh, you, you know, I mean, like, I, I feel like there is something there, too. Well, he's he's wearing a liturgical garment of some sort, kind of like yeah. maybe we robe our acolytes with a plain white uh, yeah. surplus or something like that. So the picture, the contrast is between these lousy priests, the sons of Eli, and faithful uh, Samuel, uh, whose parents still come to visit. He's off at boarding school, so to speak. Uh, and they're still keeping in touch and, uh, things are going well. And the Lord is even blessing Hannah with more children. And then we go back to this story of, uh, Eli's sons. And not only are they stealing the best part of the offering for themselves, they're also sleeping with the, the altar guild ladies, uh, which is not good. Uh, oh well, no, no, that's right. Uh, They, they add that on top of everything, which, which, uh, I mean, like the the way that in the way that Eli criticizes them, it sounds kind of a lot like how how Jacob um, was in fact criticizing. I think it was, wasn't it Reuben uh, who who was the one who uh, he says like you know uh, came up into my bunk right? He says like you know uh, for the sexual immorality. So yeah, yeah, no, this is uh, no new sin. Um, but before we talk yeah. about the sexual immorality, though, there, there were a few questions that came in over email about about um, what Samuel was wearing, and, and particularly the, the question was, no, no, hang on a second, he's got an ephod all of a sudden. Um, so the question was, 
does this mean that he's been ordained? Uh, is he is he ordained in this chapter? Uh, the kind of another question was, hang on a second. I only remember the ephod being talked about in connection to the high priest. He's not the high priest though. So just kind of questions about like what does it mean that he has this this ephod and he's ministering before the Lord here in this chapter. Well, as I say, it's at least some sort of a liturgical garment. He's sort of an apprentice. He's kind of like, well, even in seminary, I remember guys who are still seminarians, they would wear, uh, you know, an alb, but of course they yeah. couldn't wear yet a stole. So, yeah. um, and there were different vestments that the priests wore, you know, with the, with the stones embedded in them for the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's not there yet, but it's giving right. a hint or an indication how the Lord is preparing him, Samuel, to take over uh, after the the Eli line gets cut off. Yep. I, I think that's exactly right, that the ephod is not unique to the high priest. Um, in fact, we know mm-hmm. uh, elsewhere that, in fact, David, you know, as the king, would wear an ephod on different occasions yeah. and ceremonies. So, I mean, this ephod is, uh, it's, it is a symbol of authority. It's connected to God. Um, now the, the ephod that the high priest wears, right, is is unique. Uh, kind of like what you were saying, like you know, there might be a bunch of people at the front of the church who have albs on, but the only person with an alb um, and a stole is uh, someone who's ordained, right? So I, I think that's yeah, kind of I, I similar. think that's kind of a comparison. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, so so I guess the um, so like you were saying, the, the the fact that he's already wearing this ephod though in the text is is already setting us up for. Uh, hey, look, uh, this is the one who's actually going to follow because of what you were just saying, uh, because uh, to make to go from, you know, uh, insult to injury here, right? Eli's sons are also doing this um, sexual immorality when, when they're supposed to be, you know, the priests. Yeah, and I've often said uh, about when we see scandals of ministers in the news, yeah. I've often said that the three temptations that are uh, often befalling ministers, pastors, are money, sex, and power. We see so many examples of uh, when ministers fall, it's one of those three things or a combination thereof. Money, sex, and power. And we see Hophni and Phineas falling on all those. Yeah, uh, the they're, taking the best, they're taking the best part of the offering for themselves. They're u- misusing their authority to boss people around. And they're sleeping with the altar guild. That's right. Yeah, no, I mean it, it's what it, it's what very naturally happens, right? That 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 the power that's there uh, when it's just left unchecked, it just corrupts the human heart, um, and it just ne- never fails to do this um, as it is uh, unchecked. And and so mm-hmm. the uh, the thing I think I guess overall, just a few minutes left here. Um, you know, we have this then. Uh, this this reversal that's going on. And I think that's why it, it seems mean maybe at the end, you know, to our ears, everyone who le- who's left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver, or a loaf of bread. Uh, but I mean, that's the point though. It's like they have been pilfering silver, right? And bread yeah. from the people of Israel. And so th- this is just, this is just writing the balances. I mean, I mean, this, this is just um, setting things back the way they should be, I, I think, is the idea. Not that that, that God's just like you know really uh, rubbing it in their faith uh, faces. Though I do think there is this uh, important thing here 
about what's said. What, what does Eli say? You know, this struck me as uh, something that the Lord himself said, that, you know, if if, uh, if someone sins against a man, you know, there's priests as, as uh, mediation, but if you sin against uh, God, well, then who's supposed to mediate for you? I mean, this reminds me of what the Lord says about sin against the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 not just sinning against uh, people, they're sinning against the Lord. It's like how David says in Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned, O Lord, even yeah. though he sinned against uh, Uriah the Hittite, you know. But right. ultimately, all sin, you know, even second table of the law commandments, uh, where we don't love our neighbor, we're also not fearing and loving and trusting in God above all things. So any breaking of a sin against a fellow human being is also ultimately primarily a sin against God. Well, and I think in that respect, um, you know, the point is I not so much I think that like, oh, well, like Eli, Eli's sons committed the unforgivable sin, but just like you were saying, um, by, by throwing the priesthood into scandal like this, you know, I mean, this is, yeah. this is a soul-destroying thing, because now you've gone and you've just undermined the the means of grace, you know, the the thing that, the place where, where sins are forgiven. And if you get rid mm-hmm. of that, then what do we have? And so I, I think that's more the idea, just how the Lord talks about, you know, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that, you know, if we attack mm-hmm. the way that, that God reconciles uh, us to him, well, then where's reconciliation supposed to happen? Yeah, yeah. So they're disgracing the office and uh, serving themselves instead of serving the Lord and his people. Mm-hmm. So well, I think the big takeaways, that, one thing in just this yeah. last minute, the, what I what I didn't notice so much until I reviewed this chapter were the yeah. two prophecies about Jesus. You know, Jesus right. says all the scriptures are for me. And in verse 10, we have a prophecy about the, the Messianic king, the Messiah. The term is even used there. And then yep. in uh, verse 35, about this faithful high faithful priest. priest. And again, the word Messiah is used there, the anointed one. That's right. Um, and we're, we're, we, are, we recall that Aaron was referred to as the anointed priest, in fact. So, right, that idea of him being both our high priest and our king, God's true anointed one. Thank you, brother. So many things, but you connected a lot of dots for us. A pleasure. Looking forward to having you on again real soon. Thank you, AJ. Thank you, brother. God's peace be with you. Everybody, that was Pastor Charles Hendrickson at St. Matthew Lutheran in Bonterre, Missouri. Going on to Chapter 3. Till then, everybody, I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.